0: Restaurants Unstoppable episode 778 with Rachel Cope.
1: I get what it's like to wash dishes. So when I build a dish pit, I really think about, are they part of the team? Uh, do, is it comfortable in here? Um, can they play their own music and me not hear it in the hallway? Like I, I've done those things. And so I take a lot of that into the way that we operate and build and, and think about our teams and, and stores in general. So
0: What do you do when you need design work done, but you don't have an artistic bone in your body? You go to 99designs.com. That's what you do. And that's what I did when I needed to update my cover art for Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. And I have to tell you, I could not have been more pleased with the experience. Again, head to www.99designs.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save $20 off your first contest. That's 99designs.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www7 Slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness. To learn more, visit Ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative what's going on Unstoppables? I have a great show for you today, but before we get started, a quick reminder on how you can support this podcast. you can support my sponsors, you can support my affiliates and the best way to do that is if you're interested in a tool or service I was recommended on the show. just reach out to me directly Eric at com, and i 'll make a personal introduction that way they know you're coming from me, and I can probably even get you like one of the best deals out there, uh, regardless of what the tool or service is. Uh, you can share this podcast with anybody. And everybody you know who's aspiring to be great but really right now i think the best way to support this show is by joining the network and let me share the vision for you of the network it's basically imagine if you could connect with all my guests and ask all the questions you wish i, I did ask and pull back the layers i missed and like literally be face to face with the most successful restaurateurs across the nation that's what this network will give, grant you access to plus as tools and services and technologies and, and companies are being recommended on the show, I'm taking a very journalistic approach and approaching these companies and being like, Hey, you were recommended on the show. I want to learn more. Why don't you come hang out with us and teach us something slash, let me demo your product. So over time, um, as we're like cranking out this content, we're going to have an, a massive like archive of, of just, content uh how-to videos uh we're we're starting to upload our courses um collaborating with the two, the people who've been recommended on the show who have special skills they're uploading their courses to the network and i'm just i could not be more excited about this network i really have a lot of faith in um just hope in the value we're going to be creating uh with this network and i really want you to be a part of it so head over to the show notes this is episode 778 i'll have a link in the show notes for you guys to join the network and um you want to make sure you join the network this week because we have uh, Jeff Dixon, who was last week's episode, who's going to be joining us live in the network to answer your questions and to connect with you. And then today's guest, a little teaser here today, we're talking to Rachel Cope. Uh, she's growing an empire in Oklahoma City. She's like the queen of Oklahoma. She's joining us next week on February 18th. So if you join, so if you enjoyed, if, if you do enjoy today's episode, which I'm sure you're going to, because I thought it was great and Rachel's just awesome um, you you can literally connect with her next week on the 18th. So, um, come join the network. You'll get, I think a 30 day trial if you use the link in the show notes. Uh, so, you know, there's like literally no, like risk. If you don't like it, if it's not for you. Just cancel your subscription. No charges. Uh, but I have faith that you will really enjoy it. And I can't wait to see you in that network. And when you join, you'll get a 30 minute one on one with me so I can learn all about you and your business and how I can best serve you. And how I can start connecting you with the right people uh, in the network out of the gates. So uh, again, today we're talking to Rachel Cope. She is the uh, I think her official title is CEO and founder of empire or sorry 84 hospitality and it all started with empire pizza they've since grown the, the the restaurant group to i think uh one two three four five six or seven total concepts and a few of these concepts have multiple locations uh goro ramen and uh revolution mexican restaurant uh in empire slice house uh burger punk burgers and sandwiches uh tori tori which is their fried chicken concept and they also had uh, a more upscale fine dining restaurant that they had to close recently um i think it was uh gun i believe it was called gun yes gun that is right and that and, and that was um where Tori Tori's today and that chicken if you guys are in Oklahoma City anytime in the near future you got to go try this fried chicken it's so good but we're not here to talk about the food we're here to talk about the person Rachel Cope she's an incredible guest here it is enjoy I know you're going to find value in this one. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, CEO, and founder of 84 Hospitality, Rachel Cope. Are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: I am. Glad to be here. I am glad to
0: have you here. The things that have been said about you over the past week and a half. Scary. All all good things. (laughs) Um, We're sitting in front of a really great person right now from, from what i've heard no pressure we'll see what you think by the end of this but
1: that's super nice right?
0: uh, so i like to start every episode by having my guest share a success quote or mantra to get that motivational ball rolling what do you have for us today
1: okay i let you know that this is actually tattooed on my body um i got this tattoo in denver about a year and a half ago with my sister it just says figure it out and that tattoo is actually facing like up towards me so just to remind myself that no one's going to do it for me and yeah. that there's always a solution. And that's the mindset that we take with our staff and all of our restaurants and I love every aspect of life. Keep yeah. it short and sweet and just figure it out. So. When,
0: when I hear you say that, I think of someone we both know, Bruce Irving. Oh yeah. In the smart piece of marketing podcast, good friend of ours uh, who says it, it, everything's figure outable. Yeah. I think I might have figure outable I think is what he says. I like it. But it's just the mentality that like you can figure it out. There, especially in today's age, there's no shortage of resources, Absolutely. information to teach you how to do stuff. Just figure it out, right? Yep. I love that. Great way to get this thing started. Um so from what I could gather, it sounds like you were working in restaurants throughout college, maybe post college. When did it all start for you?
1: So the first restaurant i ever worked in well a little background is i was an athlete all the way through college okay um so that was really my first love what were you playing i was playing softball played a little bit of basketball but don't like to run so that turned (laughs) out to not be that great um but yeah so when i was in high school the summer after my senior year parents made me get a job okay and was working at on the border mexican restaurant in tulsa oklahoma and for a person that's never worked in a restaurant before, like myself at that time, it was quite the experience. Yeah, they're
0: they're a pretty decent sized organization, aren't they? Yeah,
1: uh, it used to be owned by Brinker. I'm not sure if that's correct now, but that's like Chili's and okay. Applebee's, that kind of stuff. But uh, it was a it was a hell of an experience for an 18 year old, you know, kid who had never worked in a restaurant before. Super high paced and just. Um, a lot of what not like what i didn 't want to be okay. so I try to pull experience from every everywhere i 've ever worked, and yeah. that was probably the the first not to like part of putting that
0: put anybody on blast but what what was it that you didn't want to be
1: um, a lot of it was just the way they handled the guest and it, there was a, a really strong rule book it was super corporate um, and we use that term you know in such a negative way sometimes, but as you grow you have to create some standards for yourselves and some consistency between your stores. But the way that you handle the guests and the way that you handled your staff, I feel like we're still in charge of um, and acting in their favor. And I, I didn't see a lot of that um, in that experience when I worked for that restaurant. So
0: well, give me an example. What do you mean by how they handled the, the guests?
1: If there was a problem with a dish or something, it was almost impossible to get a manager to take it off the ticket or okay. do something in favor like of the guest a
0: lot over the years
1: uh, it, which in which direction
0: uh, generally if the guest doesn't like it it's like it's a marketing expense to make it right right you know, i like-
1: i i've seen restaurants even locally not so long ago here i i remember seeing a, a note behind your bar because i'm always creeping you know when i'm eating places but <laughs> it i think it said nothing is for free and it really rubbed me the wrong way
0: well i mean that's that's the world we came from and i think when i when i started this podcast i mean part of what i was trying to do was to, to give the independent restaurant owner the understanding of the, the financial side of things, like the, the less sexy stuff, you know? Right. But there is a bounce to be struck with, you know, there's rigidity that you need to be successful in the restaurant industry, but you also got to know when to give a little bit too, right? Right. Yeah.
1: And, and that's where we set parameters for our staff now and for them to act within. And we try to coach them a certain way, but it also comes to our hiring process. You know, what kind of people are we hiring and yeah. what do we care about? And then we have to walk it like we talk it mm-hmm. like if they see me act a certain way or do a certain thing, then they're going to mimic that or think that that's okay. And so it's always extremely important to me to, um, lead by example. So
0: I think it's a good thing that if you don't have any experience in the industry, I do think it's a good thing to start at a big corporation because you learn a lot about structure and operations, uh, that, will kind of set you up it sets a standard for like operations right but then there's that soulfulness side of things that you really don't get too what are your thoughts when i say that
1: Well, i was going to use an analogy which is it's like uh how i tell people they should learn to play acoustic guitar before electric uh it's a lot harder on your fingers but it'll make you a better player
0: yeah i like that so a that's a good um, analogy.
1: yeah uh that's that's kind of my thought on on what you're saying there and it, and it pulls too from my sports experience had really tough coaches yeah um
0: were there any key coaches or mentors that you think really influenced the woman you are today
1: man my business coach slash therapist would probably tell you that the way i was coached was not the way most people should be coached they were tough Mm. um but that that motivated me and i was a person that learns that way Give me an
0: example of what tough
1: example is um you know you never really got told good job until you did something just unbelievable right because it was expected Mm. and so I to this day have to make a conscious effort to point out the good that people are doing every day instead of saying well that could be better Um, because you know everybody's Different. Uh, everybody yeah. learns differently, and is triggered different ways. And so, I take. I, I used to think I wanted to be a coach, and in some ways, I am I was right. Gonna say, yeah, I became a true. coach <laughs> in a totally different way yeah, than what sure. I expected. But I take a lot of those thoughts about you know how you swing, mm-hmm. um, and and use that to coach our players now, and how we act in, in the restaurants and in our hospitality groups. I so. love that.
0: So when at, when at, in your journey, did you say this is what I want to do?
1: Yeah, so um, I was going to college in Kansas uh, for the first two years of college, and then I transferred to Oklahoma City University here in Oklahoma City and finished my uh, college career there. National champions, nice. senior year. There you go. So that was a good way to end it. And when I was uh, when I had moved here, I always got a job in the summer. Restaurants was always the easiest thing to do because there wasn't a lot of responsibility. <laughs> you could kind of quit, you know, yeah. whatever. And the, all the things we hate people for now. <laughs> yeah. But I give them some slack just based on my own experience yeah. and, and how I was. I get it. Yeah. So um, anyway, but I... Wait, so, before
0: you go into that, I think there's sure. a lesson there. You get it. And I think it's important that restaurant owners get it because at the end of the day, and I don't want to put thoughts into your mind, but what do you mean by that? What, what do you get?
1: Um, it's like... I get what it's like to wash dishes so when I build a dish pit I really think about are they part of the team Uh, is it comfortable in here Um, can they play their own music and me not hear it in the hallway like I've done those things and so I take a lot of that into the way that we operate and build and and think about our teams and, and stores in general. So
0: I love that, and uh, the compound off of that. I think it's important to also know to get that nobody's going to love your restaurant as much as you do. Nobody's sure. going to treat it like you do. I mean, you can get some people to, but it, you have to understand that this isn't other people's like their restaurant job is not their priority for sure. a lot of people, and it's hard. Like I think you need to accept that because it's going to make the rest of your life a lot easier once. Do you agree or disagree? With oh, that? I totally agree, okay. and it's
1: funny that you bring that up. Uh, earlier, you asked me about my dad, who works with us, and you know he joined our team about two or three years into the journey after Empire had opened, because uh, he was living in Texas and moved back to the city and had never been in the restaurant industry before. But I needed help from someone that I could really trust. Yeah, and he had a lot of experience in contracting and um, procurement and inventory and and things like that, and brought some maturity to our team because we're a bunch of 30 year olds running around not getting much respect especially in the beginning and and not having a lot of experience in some of the business acumen side of things so anyway uh we built one of the restaurants and i will never forget how mad he got after he saw the floors get scuffed up like a you know along the way or after a party that we'd had for someone or something And he was just so infuriated and it's taken like a while to kind of tone him down and just say like, Hey, no one's ever going to care about that. We have to eliminate human error. Right. And we have to define our expectation so that we don't get so mad. And I kind of had like two columns about things in the restaurants that I'm always going to care about and things I'm going to try to let go.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Because it, it can be overwhelming as the person who cares the most sometimes when you feel like you're maybe frustrated that other people don't care as much as you. They never will. So what are you going to be okay with, uh, you know, letting slide or letting go? And then what are the things that you're going to let your team know, hey, just say, so you know, I'm always going to care about what music's playing in here. And I'm not going to apologize for that, you know?
0: I'm in a note. I want to come back to the things you care about and the things you don't care about. Sure. But I want to stay chronological. So you were saying before I derailed us into this little rabbit hole uh, that you got to understand, like, or you understood that, or you understand now that you, you can empathize with your employees, basically. Totally. About, you know, so that was your train of thought. You're talking about how you got into the industry. So you came back to yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma City.
1: Right. And then I uh, um, was living with a girl that was a drummer in my band at the time. And she actually was working at a new pizza restaurant in town. And she told me that they had an opening there because I was looking for a job. And so I went and applied, and like an idiot, I went at like 5 o'clock, and no pen, (laughs) and luckily the lady that was the GM, who's still a really good friend of mine now, and I put on that mentor list, kind of early person who inspired me, um, she was really cool, she was like, I like your vibe and everything, but can you come back tomorrow between 2 and 4? and fill out an application and I'll talk to you then. And I was like, I realized then the mistake I had made yeah. and what a jackass I probably looked like. <laughs> but luckily she had me back and so I went in there and I worked at that place for about a year and a half and it was in a local restaurant group here. Anyway, that's where I really first got to see someone act in favor of the guests, Okay. And the way that she talked to the staff and like pre-shift and, and um, just really the way that they believed in their product and how fresh everything was you know coming from an on-the-border type place where there's a lot of pre-packaged you know frozen whatever um so
0: this is after you graduate You're this is after yeah i was
1: back in oklahoma city and this was probably i think this started the summer after i graduated college what year is this was this is probably uh tw- not to date
0: you spring
1: 2008
0: <laughs> 2008 okay so like Five years before you open your own place, correct. So you had five years of industry experience working in the industry for smaller, uh, independent operators, a little more soulful. Uh, When did you? At what point were you like, maybe this is the path that I want to stay on? Like,
1: so I kind of climbed the ladder in that group, um, not on purpose. I, in a year and a half no it was probably like three years later so i worked at the one store they probably had six concepts at the time i got pulled over to their fine dining restaurant for the holiday season okay. which i was terrified of I bet. um i knew nothing about wine it's intimidating they all wore you know the long bistro apron mm-hmm. and they had a lot of staff there that was super experienced and older staff and who just gave us hell all the time um and I still remember this in a pre-shift one time. One of the owners, who was very hands-on, said, Hey, Rachel, come open this bottle of wine for us. Or or tell us about... No, it was, tell us about the fish that's in the feature today. I knew nothing about that fish. And so I just kind of stumbled through it. And it was super embarrassing. Another thing about me is... I hate being unprepared.
0: Oh. Yeah. I hate I being
1: that, yeah. embarrassed. It's like tripping while skipping in third grade, trying to impress the fourth graders in the hallway. <laughs> Never will leave my mind.
0: Oh, this is a story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's
1: a trigger. No, uh, but I, I remember feeling so... And he was one of those people, too, that poked you, yeah, like, like one of those college... And then he would twist. Like, a col- like yeah. one of some of my college coaches, you yeah. know? It's like they had really high expectations. He'd worked in Chicago, and so he had this, you know, mentality. Yeah, so he thought. Um, that's a whole other story <laughs> for a whole other day. But um, anyway, I took uh, two copies of Food Lover's Companion, and I hid them in the restaurant. And I told myself, like, I would never feel stupid like that again. And so I just went out of my way all the time. I read Food Lover's Companion almost front to back, which is a really fun book to read. Have you ever seen it before? I've
0: heard of it, but I haven't Man, read it's it. it's a great book. Yeah, it's wh- got
1: like little anecdotes that are like historical about food. It's almost like a dictionary for food. Okay. It um, has pictures, and then, again, it'll have like a blip like this originated in Hungary. Oh, that and, sounds awesome. Yeah, you know, the 1700s. Makes me want to get
0: it. Yeah, it's a, sure.
1: it's a good book. So um, it's a lot of fun to mess around with, but I, I literally hid two copies kind of in nooks and crannies in the restaurant so that. Once I heard the features or once I heard something, I would go, you know, yeah. read it and figure it out. So that's cool. Anyway, I worked my way through there and ended up getting asked if I wanted to go manage at one of the restaurants I was failing and with two of my other serving so, friends. So at
0: this point, I feel like you've been identified as somebody who gives enough, like somebody who has a talent for the industry, a passion for the industry. Were you getting a lot of positive reinforcement? Were people acknowledging that your, your skill set, your talent?
1: I think most of it wasn't. I don't even know if it was talent. I was pretty decent at, I like people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always try to outwork everyone. And I think, and I have tough thick skin. So I think those, the combination of those things maybe like you know a light bulb went off for those guys and they were like maybe this is a person who will go over here and yeah. not not be afraid of conflict or you know failure or things that are happening here
0: are you allowed to say the name of the restaurant group you, you I'd
1: rather not oh, okay. but you know who you are are there, any, <laughs>
0: are there any mentors that you did have any positive mentors or people that kind of helped grow you into the professional you are
1: oh man well I'm surrounded by some uh, strong women my mom's great um, had three kids you know um before the age of 24 wow. um that later was, in.
0: I feel like that was normal 30 years ago. Yeah, we it was, totally was. We took our time now. <laughs> yeah,
1: I just turned 36 years old and I have no interest in like <laughs> any of that. I'm just the cool aunt to my brother's <laughs> kids. Go. I say I have 300 kids and they're all assholes. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> all teenagers and really teenagers. <laughs> but anyway, so she you know she put herself back through uh, college later and and kind of climbed the ladder and is now the cfo of a small airline company in tulsa oh,
0: that's cool yeah so it's nice.
1: a it's a fun story and, and looking back on her journey and she's such a i look back too and i see she's very she's a socialite you know yeah. like she's a not a socialite in the in the traditional sense of like country club whatever that's definitely not her <laughs> but she's She's a great host. She loves hosting like dinner parties. She's a great cook and some stuff that maybe I didn't notice before.
0: What was like reflecting at your, your mom as a host? What are some of the things you think that she subconsciously taught you how to be a host?
1: Well, you know, my mom and I have had our ups and downs along the way. And she also in the beginning and, and a lot of my family. And and this is, well, people didn't really see a restaurant career, job as a career. Mm. Um, I was supposed to go to law school. Okay. Took the LSAT, and that was like where I thought I was going to yeah, do. I and I was that's curious. What did you go to college for? Very
0: respectable. I don't think you mentioned. You mentioned sports. But you poly just,
1: sci pre-law. Okay, okay. And so I I took the LSAT. My stepdad's an attorney. Um, he gave me some pretty good advice. I just wasn't loving. Like I think I wanted to go and say I got a law degree, and I wanted to learn that analytical style of thinking, mm. um, solve problems. Yeah. But figure it out. Yeah, figure it (laughs) out. But he gave me some pretty good advice, which was I could always go back and do that later. Mm -hmm. I had been very regimented my whole life up to that point, just playing, being a college athlete and balancing school. And then really the level I was playing at, even in my younger age in middle school and high school, was so it was year round. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to spring break trips on a cruise in Mexico. I've to this day never been to Mexico. So. Um, I missed out on a lot of those things. And he just said, do what you love. And you can always go back and do that later. Okay.
0: So back to like the, the, the point of your story, you said that you, you graduate 2007, 2008, uh, three years working for this restaurant group. Now we're looking at 2011. Right. Only a year before you open your, or start at least getting, going through the motions of opening your own place. Yeah. What was it that you loved? What was singing to you?
1: So I tell people even now that... the. Uh, I started realizing that the restaurants really combined all the things I loved: uh, people, art, music, booze, and food. <laughs> yeah. And not in that order. Um, booze was definitely the leader since March, but I've been on sober January <laughs> so far, so it's going great. <laughs> but anyway, so those were the things I loved. And then I, I just look back at the manager I was then too. And I cringe at some of the ways I was talking to people. All right. Or Give us an people. example.
0: Knowing what you know now, how have you evolved as a manager?
1: I used to think it was, well, how do I put this? So when we have new managers who've never managed before, I always try to like prepare them for the power that comes with it because we always mismanage the power in the beginning, especially mm. when you're young.
0: Give me an example.
1: Um, so an example of something I did, you know, that still ugh, just bothers me. I remember before we did a private event at the restaurant I was the GM at, That a kid showed up and just wasn't wearing the right clothes or had a beanie on or something. And I just remember basically calling him out in front of everyone, kind of being like shitty about it. Yeah. And everyone laughed, and, you know, that kid went home and changed. And I remember telling my mom actually later about it, thinking that she would think
0: it was funny. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And she. Like stone cold, was just like, is that how you're really going to treat people? And it really stuck with me the way she said that. And um, I take that with me forever. I mean, that was until like 2011.
0: Okay. So the year now is 2021. Yeah. Same thing happens. Yeah. What would you do? How would you approach that situation?
1: Oh, man. Well, one, I would have set the expectation before the event that, you know, here's exactly what you need to be wearing. Mm-hmm. Here's where you get it. Let me know if you don't have it.
0: And that this... And anything other than this is unacceptable.
1: Right. right. Yeah. And if we would have gotten to that situation, I would have pulled the person aside afterwards and helped them figure out a solution for it. Yeah. Um, that's the difference between me now and, and me then, I for love sure. That. So. I
0: love that. So when are you like, okay, like I can do this whole restaurant thing. I got what it takes. People are, I still don't think I can. Okay. (laughs) I still don't think I can be a podcast. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but you did take, like what was, what was the catalyst that like, that triggered the, the, series of events of you opening your first
1: place so the restaurant group I, that i was working at the restaurant i got kind of climbed the ladder to gm after some other people kind of fell off they basically gave me the reins the place was doing like twelve thousand dollars a week and needed to be doing like 25 they were in a hole and mm-hmm. they kind of just said do whatever you want just don't lose money okay and so i got to try a bunch of stuff i had access to PLs and things wow. that a lot of people who are you know 27 years old and never seen i, I mean what did they
0: teach you they, they must have taught you something during this time because you you went from there to owning your own place and being relatively, not even relatively successful. Where
1: I learned was is when I left that group against my will, which actually ended up being for the best, I worked at a couple other local restaurant uh, places as well. And I think once I got outside that group and saw a few others, I realized that I didn't want to operate like any of those people. And it's not to say that maybe I couldn't have found another group that did fit my mentality. But none of those, they weren't exciting. Um, They weren't organized. And there was a lot of just greed and weird stuff. They were all men. Mm. And uh, it it just rubbed me the wrong way. So then I saw this, while I was working at one of those places, I actually saw... Uh, I don't know, an ad or a Facebook something or other for a contest for an old laundry laundromat space, uh, excuse me, an old laundry mat space in the Plaza district.
0: Okay. Which is where we're sitting today. That's
1: where we're sitting today. And that location is actually a few doors down the street. And we, I called a friend of mine who was, you know, one of the only f- cool chefs I knew at the time. And, I I don't cook I can give you good feedback about your food and present like actual possible solutions for flavor or equipment or cooking kind of ideas yeah but if you put me back there like I don't know how long you're supposed to roast a chicken or at what temperature that's not my yeah yeah, yeah. anyway so I call my friend and or actually I sent him a Facebook message and it just said call me I'm going to change your life like very (laughs) very dramatic you know and so he did, and he was getting out of working for a restaurant with his cousin. And, and so we put together this idea, and it was a European cafe. It was not pizza. Okay. And we pitched this idea, and it, we made it into the top five, but they let us know, like, hey, you didn't win. Sorry. And I don't lose well i went to austin a few weeks after that for the first time and while i was waiting on my friend to get to town i sat at the bar at home slice okay on south congress and as i was sitting there and kind of experiencing the magic of austin i thought it reminded me of maybe what the plaza could be and i just thought why why didn't we think of this like why didn't we do pizza um
0: before you get into that, I'm curious because you started talking. You, you painted the picture of what you didn't want to be, right? Oh
1: yeah, you're bringing me back to the, the what what changed.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, like what like what, when did the, the 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 switch flip? And you said you you, you painted the picture of all the things you didn't like, but you you wanted to be different. You wanted to be exciting. You wanted to be organized. But, I mean, you you're saying these places weren't that, so I'm assuming this is what you wanted to be. But really, if you can put yourself into you, that version of yourself, going back to 2012, 2011,
1: what was your vision? What did you want to be? I wanted to be a place I wanted to go to. Mm. I wanted to be a place I wanted to hang out at, that my friends wanted to hang out at, that I was proud of. Mm. And I think... You know that's really where a lot of the places I was working were falling short for me.
0: Why weren't you proud of them? I mean, all the reasons you listed before, I'm A lot of the places
1: I worked at, they just didn't care, um, not as much as I cared. And I was just a bartender or a manager. Um, You as the
0: manager should not care the most.
1: Right. It's like what you said earlier. As the owner, no one should care about this restaurant more than me, right? And I was working at places where I felt that they didn't. Mm. It really bothered me, um, where they were closed-minded about what the future might look like. Uh, stale, and I had re- you know at that point I had just recently started traveling some for the first time really in my life and seeing Chicago and seeing Austin and yeah, seeing Los Angeles and going why don't we have this yeah. and it made me mad because mm. we get this reputation as being this honky you know fast food for capital. For no offense when
0: I when I told people I was coming to Oklahoma City, yeah.
1: Why? Right. I
0: was like, I don't know. I'm that, working on breaking it that. looks like there's some cool stuff that happened. You were that cool stuff. I know? mean,
1: I, I, I appreciate you saying that. We still have a lot of work to do, but this was an oil and gas, you know, place for a long time. And yeah. it's finally just now starting to diversify. But it, has so much potential. And when I go out of town, I'm the biggest recruiter for Oklahoma City. I'm trying to steal chefs. I'm trying to steal, I say go. steal, I'm trying to Recruit. encourage them. <laughs> well, right, well, like what you said earlier about how you were living in Austin and then now you've, you know, uh, had to move back home. A lot of people are doing that. We mm-hmm. have several people working for us right now who are living in Brooklyn, working at cool places yeah. that I read about who are now here managing at our, Asian American fried chicken.
0: I think that is just a little glimpse, a hint of what's to come in the future. Yeah. I think that these big cities, the time that we came from where everyone flocking to the New York's, Los Angeles's, the Chicago's of the world is, I mean, people are still going to go to those cities, But there's not a need to be in those cities anymore. That's not where the opportunity is. I mean, you can find opportunity there, but you can find opportunity anywhere today with the advent of the internet. And people can stretch their dollars so much further getting out of the cities. Not to mention, I think we're starting to realize a lot about human nature and the human psyche. And we're happier out of the cities when we're not on top of each other. And I think we're starting to realize this, you know? So I think the future is in markets like Oklahoma City. If you want to be ahead of the curve, like get out and, and and go to where you can take these lessons from the big cities and be the best, you know? Sure. Um, I don't want to put words in There's term so
1: much we can do here. There's yeah. so much that hasn't been done. Exactly. And the cost of doing it is like one-fourth yeah. yes. of what you would be spending Margin's in Houston or yeah. somewhere else. And then, you know, you read a lot of stories right now about people in Manhattan or their commute times and just how much of their life was spent driving to work or waiting for an elevator to get to the 90th floor or whatever we're only
0: hardwired to be able to know and really engage with about 150 people when you live in the city like you just don't like there's everything's a transaction because you just can't the human, the, natural, the average person just can't handle that much. Yeah. You know? um, anyway, I think now's a great time to take our first break, to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to start a, kind of unpackage how you started living intentionally after you realized that nobody was doing it the way you wanted to do it. I don't know about you all, but when it comes to artistic ability, I am hopeless. The best I can do is a, a couple of stick figures, and that's on a good day. So if you're anything like me and you need design work done, I'm telling you 99designs.com is your solution and we just recently launched our contest with 99designs for a new logo, an updated logo. Man, I'm telling you the experience was seamless and I was so impressed with how attentive the designers were and how they just wanted to please us and it was like overnight we had countless submissions on what we asked for and I'm telling you, the experience is fun. It's a fun experience. I highly recommend 99designs, whether you're trying to improve your online presence or maybe you're launching a ghost kitchen and you need a brand fast. Now, go with 99designs. Head to 99designs.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll save $20 off your first contest. That's 99designs.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and during the break, you you're, you just realized that you wanted to talk more about mentors uh, that influenced you, and I cut you short. So pick up that train of thought.
1: Well, I kind of just jump around a lot, so don't feel <laughs> I, like you cut I me short. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, really, my parents, both of them, um, my you know, my dad, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, works with me as well, and he was. Even though we, I grew up living in Tulsa, and he was in Ada, which is about an hour and a half from here. And once my parents got divorced, I was, you know, we were seeing him every other weekend. But he had three kids, you know, again who were under the age of six, and he was not yet thirty, and dealing with. That is a tough situation for a lot of people, and he could have been not present, but he made such a point to be a great dad Mm. that no matter where my softball games were or whatever, he was the guy driving three hours and back in one night so he could make it to work the next day. And then, so his competitiveness, we laugh a lot about it now because we're both like kind of, we get a little bit hot-headed yeah. <laughs> on, on certain items. And it's funny because I feel like I'm the one talking him down sometimes now. But, I mean, I literally broke my wrist in college, like, in a scrimmage, getting mad uh, about striking out, you know, and punched, like, a bench or something. And so it's it's funny because now working together, I see some of that in him that he always said, hey, don't do that. And, and I'm Maybe, like, hey, but, man, you're doing it right now. Now you're
0: the boss. <laughs> yeah,
1: but he was always such a – Oh gosh, what's the word? He was always so solid. Mm. He's always so consistent. He's a person of his word, and that means a lot to me. Um, the, whatever integrity. the old, yeah, integrity. That saying about you know, there's been a couple times where we got kind of sideswiped by something or or someone, and I got mad and wanted to do something about it, and he just said, "That's not who we are," mm. and I. I really appreciate that side of it. And core values, man. Core values. Yeah. It's extremely important to me. And uh, a lot of that, you know, not that it doesn't come from my mom also, um, but he brings a different side of it for me. And then, um, yeah, so.
0: I love it. I love it. So we were just at the point where you identified all the things you didn't want to be. You knew what you wanted to be. You had a vision for what you wanted to be. And now you're, you're going after it. Um, there is this competition. Uh, for a space was it like a pop-up like what was going on where you was it a competition to actually take over the space
1: it was literally an old laundry mat that still had like baskets of clothes in it there was no there were i'll have to show you a photo later because yeah, it's please, just I'd love got to. Pigeons. we can show
0: that during Pigeon. the video we can actually b-roll that
1: okay go, awesome yeah um so the space was a citywide contest and it was could have been anything it wasn't necessarily for a restaurant And I can't remember. It was called Crowd something. It's not a website that still exists anymore. Crowdsource? No. No. I'll have to, I'll try to think of it. But I tried to look it up a few years ago because I was doing a contest for a space in a building that I owned and I wanted to use the same platform and it didn't exist anymore. So it's gone. But it was pretty cool. People could uh, basically submit their ideas and. It could be for there are people who are like, I want to do an arcade laundry mat, or um, a flower shop or a restaurant or whatever. There are all kinds of ideas and in, in like a forum where people were discussing what they thought should go there. So anyway, um, after I went to Austin and I came back, I told my friend Avery, the chef, uh, I just said, man, let's just keep working on an idea. We're going to find a different space and we'll just make it happen somewhere else we got a call maybe like a week and a half after that from the landlords for the laundromat space who said hey we couldn't come to terms on a lease with the person that won we really like you guys but do you have any other ideas because that one was just you know not that great (laughs) and i basically
0: now you're back off the trip from austin i'm back
1: off the trip from austin and so i look you know i'm looking at avery and just like just go with it and he said pizza But we didn't know how to make pizza and so that became a whole nother fun trip after that the whole figure it out mentality i love that though yeah Um, so
0: awesome um when figuring it out like what approach were you taking how were you were you approaching other people who had pizzerias like were they in your market were they kind of weird about giving you advice like how what, what approach did you take
1: it was really hard um well, I had, had a little bit of experience because of the pizza place that I worked at when I moved to Oklahoma City, but they were a wood-fired pizza restaurant, and I wasn't really paying that much attention to the kitchen. So, I mean, I knew about our product, but I didn't know where how, it came from. I, I didn't know yeah. the how or yeah. why sometimes, okay. you know? yeah. So, honestly, what I did was I saw that there was... Well, we did a couple tastings, and they didn't go so well. Like, the apps and salads and stuff were all great but the pizza the star of the show was not good
0: no it takes time to figure out pizza the dough using like how how temperature and humidity and oh yeah. all that plays into it yeah and then you have to stay consistent and i mean it's it's not like an overnight type of thing
1: no we still play with it every yeah, day now i'm sure um so i find this school in san francisco online called tony jimignani's international school yes, of pizza tony. and so i register for the American New York style class, and I go. And again, I'm not a chef, but how much was this class? It was. Ex- it, it seemed expensive at the time. In hindsight, like obviously it's paid off, so that's cool. But um, well, I think re- it was like it? five grand. Yeah, but it, I mean,
0: that's knowledge. Like, what can you take? Uh, about, what can you do from, with that from that guy? Yeah, right. And I you,
1: mean, I didn't even know really what I was walking into. I, I mean, i'd seen like a thousand videos of him throwing dough in those competitions. But talk about a master of their craft. Mm. And a person who was a mentor for me, too, um, and has kind of stayed in touch over the years a little bit, or when we see each other at the Pizza Expo yeah, and or Mike whatever.
0: Bosch just had a lot of great things to say about him from Andolini's. Yeah. Not Ando, Ando, Andolini's. I keep on saying Andolini's. It's because there's a place back in New Hampshire. Andolini's. He's going he's to kill me.
1: That's okay. Yeah. You corrected it. So Andolini's. Andolini's. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I went to go see... I went to that class. I was the only female, um, as usual, it felt like, in restaurant stuff. But I think, I mean, I was in there. There was a guy f- literally from China who was there. There was a dude from France. Um, there was a guy from Toronto that ended up actually opening, or Vancouver, who opened his own pizza place. I don't know if it's still open now, but he was cool. And then there were two guys who worked for a grocery store chain that's in California that I can't remember what it was called, and they were going to start doing pizzas in the grocery stores, and so they had been sent to this class too. Okay. And I kind of was the outlier, was kind of, I didn't really hang out with all the guys in the class. They were a little bit older than me too, but I would just walk across the street during the breaks for the class and to you know actually I think I walked to the bar down the street and skipped lunch and had like a shot of powers at this irish (laughs) bar down the street and uh you know a harp or something and they would come back to class feeling real good loose (laughs) yeah but it was it was really fun um i love a new challenge but also i hate not being good at things yeah and so it's very frustrating for me and a quick story is like we were pushing dough which is where you take uh the dough ball out and then you put it on a floured surface and then you're pushing it into the shape of a pizza you're shaping the dough gotcha well i i had heard tony tell his assistant that the dough was a little cold like they hadn't sat it out to get to room temp and so i couldn't really get my dough to stretch very well and so i was kind of making excuses for it and so he came over there and he's like oh what dough is cold? this dough and he picked it up and he did like 10 tricks and had it in a perfect pizza shape (laughs) in about five seconds "Uh and he looked at me and laughed And he kept calling me gorilla hands the whole time because I was (laughs) just like very heavy on my my dough pushing. That's funny. But anyway, so it was pretty funny, but he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, We had a lot of good laughs, and I really got to understand the why and how of dough making. Mm -hmm. It was very, I mean, it was super interesting, scientific. Um, We had like a 30-page workbook, and there were formulas and this and that, and um, that restaurant in... San Francisco actually has about six different styles of ovens. And so electric and the rotoflex, which is what so Mike you can learn uses. All of them, yeah. yeah, you got to kind of see everything and, and he used certain ovens for certain styles of pizza. We got to see some of the different How styles old of was pizza. This This was a a week.
0: Wow. It was was a lot. That's a lot. That's a drink from a fire hose. That's a lot of information. It was.
1: It was definitely a lot. And so as soon as I came back, I told Avery, I was like, I need to tell you everything right now before I forget it all.
0: Yeah. I'm surprised the chef didn't come with you, right? (laughs) Well,
1: Well, and that, yeah, I think it was so expensive. We didn't have any money. Yeah,
0: it makes sense. I I feel that. So, okay. Well, I mean, I think it just goes back to what you were saying earlier is that everything's figure outable. If you don't know the answer, don't let that stop you. Go figure it out. Go to somebody who does. Even if that means paying five thousand dollars. How bad do you want it? You know, invest in yourself, right? Yep. Um, you mentioned pizza. Um, I think it's important to note note that in in my research, you said that you you give the market what the, it's missing, right? Right. Um, so was there no pizza in um in this market, like in this part of Oklahoma City?
1: There was a lot of pizza, and everybody warned me, um, but I I just didn't feel like anyone was doing what I wanted to do there was no pizza by the slice really okay. that's there was, where I was going there was it's one place um, that's still operational now but the way that they do their pizza is they cook off all cheese pies and then you pick your toppings and then they f-
0: put it back in the oven yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. and no that's bench. what
1: I was advised to do by a person you know <laughs> it was like well, I mean
0: a, like operationally yeah that's the sense. most streamlined but right is quality over you know like right yeah so okay so I think the, there's an important lesson to be gleaned here that um Mm-hmm. just because somebody's doing something doesn't mean you can't do it too, but how can you do it differently? What's your unique selling proposition? Pizza by the slice. And you put the focus on the slice, which makes it, I mean, that that touches on a whole different demographic too, like somebody with a smaller budget
1: maybe, you know? Yeah, and also the other thing that was lacking in Oklahoma City was there was no late night dining. Mm-hmm. And okay. I can make a reservation to eat my second dinner in Chicago at 11 p.m. or New York. Why can't I why do I have to go to a bar to be social? Mm -hmm. Why do I, when I get off work at my restaurant job, do I have to eat fast food Um, or go to like the one pancake diner that's real shitty on the opposite side of town to get a meal where I could actually sit down and chill before I go home? Um, We didn't have that. And so we really built it for our industry friends too. Mm -hmm. And from the beginning, we stayed open till 2 o'clock. I remember one time we closed early, and this is a lesson for people, and I've never done it since then, is the consistency of your hours of operation. I mean, we were slow those that first year from midnight to 2. It was not busy. And the Plaza District was a little sketchy still. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you know about this area, but it was rough. It was pretty rough down. We had a pretty large homeless population, some pretty aggressive people, um, People who would frequent the neighborhood, panhandling. We still mm-hmm. deal with a, a little bit of the panhandling stuff now, especially in the holidays. But it's gotten so much better. Yeah. And there were a lot of empty spaces still, so mm-hmm. it was just a lot different. But anyway, we just—I closed early that one night, and I remember someone sending me like a scathing email the next day about how many they brought these people from out of town oh, and all this shit. No. And it really like set. Something in stone that I already knew, which was you gotta walk it like you talk. It. Yeah, I, I gotta it goes, do what it, yeah, I say. It
0: goes exactly it goes back to integrity. Yeah. If I'm if that on paper or on the internet says you're open at this time, yeah. you gotta follow through with what you say. Most
1: definitely. So um, anyway,
0: yeah, great lessons there. Um, you mentioned that you, you didn't have any money. Yeah. So talk to us about how you actually once they. So I'm assuming they they liked the pizza idea, right? Right. So what was it about? Like, tell us that you pitched it. Like, what was it that made this? or made you able to execute this? How did you pull it all together?
1: So I had a little bit of experience. I had seen some business plans before. And this is something I tell people now if they ever ask me for advice about an idea they want to try is that numbers don't lie. Yeah. And you really got to start with that is, you know, what's your average price per person? Well, first, like what's your set prices for your menu, you know, and you got to know about menu cost of goods and things like that. Were you costing
0: your menu at this? Did you do like a a costing card for your items at this point?
1: I don't think we had gotten that far yet, but I was estimating based on what I thought it could sell for, looking at some places in the area, similar size pies, how many people could one pie feed, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, And so, and then make trying to make the cost work reverse for engineering. It. i yeah, did kind yeah. of reverse yeah. engineer it yeah and i had been a bar manager before and so that was that part was easy for yeah. me is knowing like what that cost of goods should be and what that should look like um but we also did something unique there which is that we did all canned beers like okay. we never had one bottle of beer since 2013 we had the largest canned beer selection that's only cans in oklahoma What was the
0: point for that i
1: wanted to recycle all the cans okay and also uh man, I used to have like a whole spiel about this, but canned beer is cool now. Like <laughs> yeah. everybody does it. Yeah. It's easier. It's better for the environment. Yeah. Uh, gets colder faster. Mm-hmm. Stays fresher. Light doesn't penetrate the glass. Like I could give you a spiel on some of those, but okay. I love canned beer. Uh, it's awesome. So, awesome.
0: So um, you you win the space. Right. You're able to convince these people. Um, you're leasing or renting.
1: Uh, yep. Rented.
0: Rented. Um, what about the initial... Like, how did you get the the capital for the initial build-out and all that?
1: So, one of my family members uh, gave me, like, basically took their money out of a stock market situation. It was like 10 grand. Okay. That's all the money we got. I want everyone to hear me when I say that because sometimes people think... That we just had it. We didn't have That's,
0: it. Yeah. Um, but you were able to exit. So, like, how did you, like, duct tape this restaurant? Yeah. So, year?
1: so um, the restaurant space that we won, um, a lot of the build-out was handled by the landlord. Okay. And so, that was great. But there's a caveat to that, which is that in that situation, and this goes back to setting yourself up for success and really reading operating agreements and leases, there was a 5% of gross sales, like, uh, percentage rent. Okay. And there was no, like... Ceiling. It wasn't like anything over two million a year.
0: So was it fixed and five? Yeah. So we had a
1: base rent okay. of like three grand, which was okay. super manageable. Yeah. I felt like, but less by the end of when we left there, we were paying $16,000 a month with no cap. And yeah, it was really rough and they weren't willing to negotiate with us. So
0: how long were you at that location?
1: 2013 to uh, mid 2018.
0: Okay. Wow. Five years. But I mean, I think there's something to be said about that because at the same time, like, would you have been able to do it without that? Like, are you willing to give something up now for, for a future investment? And you know, like, Maybe if you hadn't known about it, you would have like worked out like, okay, 5% for the first two years. I would have capped it. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And, but that's the thing. Live if you learned learn. the hard way, exactly. Absolutely. But now if you're listening to this podcast, yeah. you know to think about that. Sure. You know. um, but you know, he, he did give you the means to...
1: They gave us some of it. Yeah, the And then uh, Avery, my chef partner there, um, who's still partnering partner with us now in several stores, he had two people that really believed in him, and they brought the only other cash that we had. And so, um, anyway, that's how we ended up with the capital to build the restaurant and let's get serious if you saw the restaurant and what it looked like i mean which
0: restaurant is it now
1: so it's mexican radio now down the street it's just a a couple doors down
0: i was walking around i was trying to figure out which restaurant it was earlier
1: yeah Um, like the band three doors down bad joke but it is right (laughs) down there um and so there's it was like 1700 square feet i
0: was gonna ask how many seats
1: um it it's been a minute but probably like
0: Approximately.
1: I would say max, and we really maxed it out. It maybe had like 80. Okay. But there was a, a side area there that was a gravel lot, and we ended up, throughout the years, um, covering it. And gained like double the seats out there we built this big deck out back we used to have these big parties and a beer garden and like we really maximized the space that we had but it was maxed out and we only had two deck ovens that was the only cooking equipment we had we were making dough in a 60 quart hobart mixer in a closet that was like three feet deep (laughs) by six feet wide and we did it at three o'clock in the morning for five years oh
0: my goodness man i love that yeah uh, reflecting back at that time what you did well uh, what you did wrong that you i mean you're kind of uh, uh tapped on the cap and the the rent and stuff like that anything else coming to mind that you wish you knew then that you know now
1: well just the way that we designed the restaurant in general was kind of a pain um you're sitting in it now you can see that we've got the kitchen in the back half of the restaurant and we have the bar in the front um but in the original space, we actually had the kitchen in the front because we wanted people to be able to see the guys throwing pies and stuff from outside. And then um, we had the bar in the back. But, I mean, it worked for what it was, but it was just not set up for success. Anytime the kitchen needed something, they had to go like a mile to go get it. Yeah. We only had the two deck ovens, which now all of our places have four. And I swear sometimes we need six, it feels like. But, um, yeah, just the way that it was built. But, you know, we did... we. We did what we had to do, and we did it the best way we knew how. Mm. And so, and that's all there was you can do.
0: Just go. Don't let what you don't know stop you. Yeah, because you can always change. You can always evolve. You can always figure it out as you go.
1: right? Sure. And, and we didn't. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're fine. Time. You're fine. I was just going to say that we also had no debt when we started because we were used all cash, which I was really kind of. Like a, I was always like taught to be afraid of credit cards. I feel like when I was younger, I probably because cause I I misused them a time yeah. or two in college, um, but. That's leveraging what you have, like once you've grown, I think is a smarter way of doing this because instead of just blowing all the cash that you have, yeah. So, Start is
0: minimally, i cut you short this time. Yeah, that's okay. Say, say it.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, and 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 we take that mentality, it depends on what kind of store we're building,
0: yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, there's something else that I pulled from your story which I thought was really great. Um, your how the whole story behind uh, Goro and how that started, yeah, I think gold the approach you guys took here get into that
1: so well it depends which gory talking about because i'll just start from the beginning so the beginning. in 2000 well so my sister had a good friend when she was in college named jeff chanceloon uh he worked at a cool sushi place in town and he would always bring her this ginger dressing that we loved and anyway so i kind of got to know him a little bit through that and then he was in school at university of oklahoma marketing graphic design advertising guy Gets out and starts this. Decides he doesn't want to do that or isn't loving doing it. And this is when the food truck craze started. So okay. he builds this uh, food truck with a friend, and um, I'll think of the name of it here in a second. Uh, tai, dang it! Oh, Kai Okay. <laughs> Took me a second. <laughs> anyway, so he builds this food truck with his friend, and I needed a logo for something, and so I emailed him, and I was like, "Hey, Jeff, how's it going?" Uh, congrats on the truck. It was like on Eater, like coolest food trucks in America right now or something. And Eater, you know, especially then was yeah. so cool. Yeah. And so I reached out and, and I just kind of, I'm always a poker, like, especially when I see talented people yeah. or things I'm interested in or curious about. I'm like, how's the food truck going? And how are you? And I he just kind this. of started telling me food truck life is hard. Uh, it it is. is. And I've done it and it yeah. is hard. And people I don't, don't recommend it. And, yeah. You, I, mean, I mean, in some cities, that are really walkable Like Austin Great food truck scene Right mm-hmm. Certain areas that might work A food truck park might work But like if you're just Driving one around A city as large as Oklahoma City With no home base And no restaurant behind it It's not my I mean everything Has its pros and cons Right sure.
0: And people always look At the the pro of a food truck As the lower <coughs> overhead Capital to start, yeah, but the logistics are oh, a nightmare. It, now,
1: load it, unload it, yeah, load it, unload it. We, we've down. talked to a
0: lot of restaurant tours that started with food trucks, and trust me, we've gotten all the warnings. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I, what I, what I'm pulling from your story up to this point, when coming across Jeff, is your interest and curiosity about other people. And Always. when you see talent, don't be afraid to engage with that talent. Don't sure. be afraid to poke that talent. Don't be afraid to let that talent know that you see that they're talented, and don't don't look at them as competition. Um, see what their strengths are, and you know, give them an opportunity to leverage their strengths, like be, you know, and collaborate.
1: Well, not to compare myself to Nick, but you know, he literally met Grant by eating his food at the restaurant Grant was cooking at, and oh, that's man. when he gave him an opportunity to build their own. We're talking
0: about uh, Grant, uh, sorry, um,
1: Ackitts and, and Nick Kikonas. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, awesome. They past guests on the show, amazing. people. I, I
1: just love it, and I, you know, as far as mentors like here for restaurants are concerned, it's not. I don't want to. There are definitely some great restaurant people in here who've been around for a long time and are strong restaurant operators. But as far as people who were really getting outside the box, I wasn't seeing a lot of that. And so when you talk about mentors, I was reading about these people. Do you know Nick? Uh, no, I never. I would met love him to before. introduce. Him. Oh man, I, yeah. I that'd be like, whew, I feel like I was when meeting Garth happen. Brooks or so something. At least I can
0: do. You're sitting here in front of me. Hey, I, hey I really
1: appreciate that. My no, I just in watching what he do with talk and kind of how that works, and just not only restaurants but things that help restaurants, and watching what they've been able to do with Alinia during COVID and Next and Oh yeah, talk. And AV, I mean. I don't know how Aviary's doing. Yeah, talk's just so incredible. We've had a lot of our own thoughts about stuff like that, um, over this, you know, period of time, but not I'm going off on a tangent. Uh it's loud. anyway. <laughs> recruiting though is a part of coaching. And so when you talk about identifying talent and you know, I, I'm not poaching. I'm just opening the door. Yes,
0: yeah, so I was gonna say creating an opportunity. Sure. You know, like in if somebody's earned it, like why not give them the offer?
1: If somebody left me to go work somewhere else, of course there's a that dagger for a second you know that you're angry or you're defensive but it's not about you well there's that sometimes it's for opportunity mm-hmm. sometimes you have to look at yourself and go what was I not able to provide this person that made them want to leave
0: yeah and I, I want to get into that because sure. I, I did a little research and I saw that there was a lot that you you you, you recognize people were leaving and you want to change that and you did a lot of great things to, to retain people um, but back to the. Jeff. What's that? Jeff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I have his name written down right in front of Got us. Got it. Um, so uh, with 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 uh, Goro. Yeah. Um, wait, did I say that right?
1: Well, yeah, Goro. Yeah, you yeah, said Yeah. It Sorry. Right.
0: Um, all these restaurants run through my head all the time. So it's hard to keep them all
1: straight. <laughs> I totally understand.
0: So uh, I love that you started with a pop up um, yeah. once a month. And what was why what was going through your mind? Why why did you take that approach?
1: Well we were both doing other things at the time and I wasn't sure how we were going to work together. Um, I knew him as a friend, but I wasn't sure about his work ethic. I'd eaten his food. I knew that it was good, but I didn't know how good.
0: You're dating at this point,
1: right? Yeah, totally. And and not knowing what the future held. We just wanted to do something cool. Like, I get bored very easily. Um... That wasn't
0: literal, by the way. You guys weren't actually dating. But no, what I meant by his that wife's
1: was, name is also Rachel, <laughs> though. And so we always laugh because there's been people along the way. They're like, yeah, your husband, Jeff. You're and I, work, and Jeff and I just die laughing because <laughs> if you knew us at all, you know that we'd never date or be married. But yeah. So um, anyway, but yeah, the, the pop-ups were, they were the new cool thing, you know. They were the, the hidden dinners and the emails. And so that's kind of what we did. We created uh, Project Slurp. Found a space, a really cool intellectual property law firm here in town that handles all all of our work now for us. But they had a really cool space. They let us use it for free. But we did these ticketed ramen dinners where ramen was the star of the show. He would do different types of ramen each time. And he did like – it was like a five-course dinner. And I would pair five cocktails. And so word got out pretty quickly that you got real – wasted we had to start doing like a disclaimer sort of at the beginning which is like give "Give me your keys keys. yeah (laughs) or i i because i couldn't and i learned a lot throughout that process about you know how to make some of the drinks smaller but I was just making full-size cocktails because <laughs> I wanted people to see the value in their money. Yeah, like, but what are the
0: benefits of what you're doing right
1: now? Oh, man. So, when we were doing the pop-up though, I got to test music. Yeah. I got to test uh, staff. Yeah. I got to test drink ideas, what do people yep. like, not like, timing, mostly my working relationship with Jeff. Yes. And so, um, I recommend... You know, to a lot of people if they can and I know it's not always possible, but you've really gotta know who you're getting in bed with, yeah, right? right? And and even from a business standpoint, same thing.
0: Yeah, so. and, and if I can stack on top of that, you're also you're also creating buzz, you right. know, with a very minimal overhead and you're creating relationships, not just with your business partners, but with all the people who love ramen in the city. And that's like if you can collect that data early on, if you can start an email list, like when they when they sign up, when they buy a ticket, you can get their email. Totally. Hey, guess what? We're, we're, we found a location like now you already you're start. It's all about relationships and you can start building those relationships now by hosting a once a month pop-up you right. know and, and like you pointed out and i I have to put emphasis on it your data research or market research right and you're you're twist you're tweaking your recipes and learning about what does, what works best you know right. it's so powerful um well and I even at it. that
1: time like there was only one ramen shop in oklahoma mm. one and it was in oklahoma city it still is and they do a different style of ramen than we do but when you talk about that unique part mm-hmm. and when you talk about you know bringing other parts of what we love into it it's a place i want to hang out at um it's forward thinking it's um uh, late night dining mm-hmm. you know which did, we just didn't have and yeah. so we found we heard about a space that was for rent before anyone else knew about it, it was in the plaza which we'd already had success with with empire and so this was in late 2015 early 2016 empire was about two years old at that time and um it was a perfect space for a, ramen, a little ramen shop, and that little ramen shop became, like, the ramen shop that could. It was 1,600 square feet. The patio was rarely ever used because—
0: That was in the Plaza District, too, Yeah, right? it's on the
1: opposite yeah. end of the street, and now has become our, well, hybrid service Asian-American fried chicken shop. Um Japanese style wings.
0: Gotcha. Um, I'm heading there next. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) So yeah, but that was Goro and Goro was there until COVID. And then we pulled some, you know, we had to make some really crazy decisions. Like that place was super successful from a financial standpoint. Everyone knew where it was. Um, I never would have moved it. And, but I, we had to come up with a creative solution to save ourselves in the other restaurant that we had in the Paseo district that was no longer going to work anymore. Okay.
0: I, I think that that's worth p- shelving until we get sure. to the like, COVID stuff. And I, I do want to pull a lot more out of you. There's this a is, lot there. There's gold that you're dropping on us right now. Thank cool. you for getting to those details of the pop-up. Sure. I think it's really important. Um, and we could talk about every opening and how you learn different things from everything. But I think what you do really well, which is worth making an example of you for, is the pivot you made with your perspective on how you treat employees and how you started changing the culture. Take us through that cultural evolution and and how you started redirecting your focus.
1: Well, I don't really know. I guess it would be in 2016 is when we created the hospitality group. So let's start with that. And the reason that we created 84 hospitality group, um, 84 is the year I was born. I got tired of trying to be clever. So, um, (laughs) When we created that, or when I created that, it was really to create an umbrella to tie together all the restaurants, right? And so that we could share resources, mm. um, so that we could have a director of operations and have an in house accountant. You know, we didn't have any of that until I was that person for mm-hmm. a long time. But when we started that, it kind of grew from there. And it was when we started getting to like our fourth restaurant, which opened in 2017, and we were getting north of like 150 employees. And I wasn't able to know everyone's names anymore, and I wasn't able to directly affect those people um, and make sure they were happy. Yeah. That I think we started looking at ways we could create um, possibilities for, I don't know, to take care of them, yeah. to educate them, and to help them in their personal lives and personal growth. So that they'd stick around, right? Because retention, especially... And that's what I
0: read, is that you started noticing a higher turnover.
1: Yeah, and a lot of restaurants had just yeah. extremely high turnover. There's no loyalty. Um, unless you're a manager, right? At least then there's a reason to come back. But most of these kids, they don't have a paycheck to come pick up. They don't have any reason to stay. And every time you turn around, there's... I mean, they could literally go to and apply at six other restaurants and get hired at any one of them exactly. the next day. And so that... Posed a very interesting problem for our industry that, you know, I still haven't figured out. Um, And obviously everything's changed now with COVID. But in that moment, um, I started asking a lot of questions about what does the staff need or care about that they don't have. And I started thinking about myself a lot. I started thinking about like, I remember, I mean, restaurant people have this. You know, stigma for being kind of wild. You know, we stay up late, we drink, we smoke, we party, we whatever, and we don't take care of ourselves very Mm -hmm. well. A lot of restaurant people don't have insurance. Um, A lot of us don't manage well, especially when we're first starting out, your cash-heavy tips. You don't manage your money very well whether it's because you don't know how or you f- don't even know how much money you had in your apron that day you don't you know you, you don't deposit it into the bank or whatever so there was just a lot of stuff that started coming up and we started trying to create ways to help educate um, yes. the people who work for us and, and provide opportunities for them to have discounted gym memberships or whatever and trying to work with some places in town. We went as far as trying to create an app and then realized how expensive apps are. And in that, at that time, it wasn't really the best move for us financially. But that's not out of the picture. Um, we just recently switched payroll companies who have an HR platform that is really helpful for the staff because we don't have an in-house HR person because, to be completely honest, we can't really afford one. And so we handle a lot of that ourselves. But this provides um, a lot of information that they would need for that. And there's just a lot of stuff that's outside of us that we point them to or have discounts to, or especially when COVID hit, like just giving them a list of three therapists who would do 10 sessions for free. We're trying to take care of our team and our family. And really during COVID that became like even harder, but so important.
0: Yeah. And you started this discussion uh, on, on this vertical of how you started treating your employees differently saying that nobody has loyalty to you, like unless you're loyal to them. Right. Right? And that's, and you have to give before you expect to get loyalty. You have to give loyalty and you give loyalty by taking care of people and and, and their most basic needs. Like look, just listening to the things that you're doing, um, you're, you're offering security and and you're you're leaning into the Maslow's hierarchy of needs of, uh, you know, not just giving them a paycheck and giving them security in that way, but also giving them security and teaching them how to create security for themselves and giving them, uh, people also want to be grow and be healthy and take care of themselves you're giving them access to health care or like you mentioned health benefits but also the gym yoga classes but i don't think what you're doing is a difference between a transaction and being a transformative mentor in, in giving people life skills that they're going to remember forever and you're, you're transforming people you know and i think that's the way to look at it and
1: i didn't really think of it like that well i was just doing it you know Cause I was trying to take care of them, but to hear but, you say it like that, and that's like my business coach, she says, you know, how do you grade yourself? But that's that hard coach coming out. That's always like not good at more, do better, do more. Yeah. And so it's interesting to hear you say that.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um, so what, what changed? How, what did, did, retention change?
1: Yeah. So, um, we were really getting into measuring a lot of that before COVID (laughs) and I was so excited about it. Um, we had these, we call them sprints where every quarter our hospitality group directors were given a sprint that they were working on, whether it was a plan, an employee wellness plan. Um, we were working on, um, free English classes for our Spanish speaking staff who maybe didn't feel comfortable going somewhere Mm -hmm. and trying to take, um, you know or paying for English because we find communication to be sort of a problem for us sometimes yeah, and course. it hinders their growth as well whenever yep. they're not able to speak um you know English so the business
0: language yeah. yeah
1: totally and so anyway we were working on a lot of things like that retention was my sprint I was really interested in seeing how those numbers turned out but first we had to like even just start making sure that we were coding it correctly when we lost someone. Yeah. Why did they leave? And that's hard to do too. Cause most places have an exit interview. Right. Good luck getting one here. You, you know? don't get one? No. I mean, a lot of the time <laughs> if a person just doesn't show up again, they're, they're not going to answer my call. We right. try, <laughs> yeah. but they have no reason to, yeah. especially younger people, mm-hmm. you know, like the, again, the loyalty part. And so yeah. I kind of had to just make a category for that and okay. be like, you know, other or whatever. Um, so anyway, When COVID hit, though, um, you mentioned we were giving people security. We're trying to give people security in the most insecure time for our industry and just for working people in general, you know, right now. And it was there were some really hard times um, where I beat myself up a lot during this because I wasn't communicating with them enough, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to scare them or I didn't know the exact answer to help them or I was working on something and there was a lot of confusion about, PPP loans and you guys got PPP loans and why aren't you paying us and we were are paying you what you know but I'm not sure what you're asking me and tell me what you how you think those work so I can discuss it with you instead of just like roasting me on social media or something it was a it was a hard time I learned a lot during that but I'm really proud to say I mean in all the you know stores that we have I think we had seven or eight uh, stores before COVID and we've lost one Two managers. One, because he wanted to move to Las Vegas and be a blackjack dealer <laughs> <laughs> or Barcelona. He wasn't sure. <laughs> a little bit of a difference there. And then another one because she was a part-time manager and wanted to go do real estate. Mm-hmm. But I'm really proud that we were able to retain all of our management and just um, the road we've been, been down. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent there. But it's, it's extremely important to me to get back to taking care of people. And we were able to extend health benefits to some people who didn't have them before in the middle of COVID. And I just... Um, to hear some of them say I'm getting an inhaler um for like twenty bucks for the first time and it makes working so much easier or just doing tasks like carrying groceries up the stairs. It like kinda broke my heart a little bit, you know. Yeah. And but there's a business aspect to it too. I can't give full health benefits to four hundred people for free. Like yeah. and that's an industry that's an industry problem. Mm-hmm. That is a government problem. Man, I you know what? Well, I would love to talk about that with some people and try to get that figured out. But it is, it is hard. I read yeah. somewhere the other day, everybody said, if you want that to be fixed, you have to realize that you've been underpaying for food and service forever.
0: But whose fault is
1: that? It's a good question.
0: I think it's our fault.
1: I mean, I don't disagree.
0: But, but I think it's, it's, it's generations of competing against each other, not working with each other, undercutting each other. To the point where the food suffers, the, the the quality of life suffers because we just want to have the lowest prices to for perceived value. If we
1: all played the same game the same way, you, it would change.
0: But we need to teach people how to play the game, and then it becomes about how who does who does the game best. You
1: or know? you have to make them, and as you can see in the world that we live in right now, nobody wants to be made to do anything. And yeah. so, anyway. but I think also
0: a, a big part of it comes to educating the general public that hey, if you want food done right, it comes at a cost and that your perception of food has been bastardized over the past 30 years because that's our fault. But here's the thing. Food done right, organically, sustainably, locally takes money and we need to charge what it's worth. And I think that's the other variable.
1: So let me turn this around a little bit too and say it's really interesting. um, Outside of the restaurant industry, people who aren't actually working in it, they go, why don't these kids have insurance and why don't they have whatever? Now there's some real benefits for people who work in the restaurant industry as I mentioned earlier about why I even started doing it in college flexibility um, cash when you need it I could work four doubles and make my rent Um, just no responsibility a lot of those I might already said that a lot of those things that were pluses and I'll tell you we interviewed a lot of staff through covid and we went down a rabbit hole trying to create this like hourly rate a guaranteed wages system where if you didn't hit this number that we would pay you the difference mm. if you worked a certain number of hours like mm-hmm. i created this whole like crazy i thought I about to revolutionize the revolution lives the restaurant industry and everybody was going to love it and when i presented three options to one of our restaurants do you know which one i i let them vote and they picked to keep their own tips. I was going to say go it had back. to be to
0: keep their own tips. I it was.
1: It. And it really like blew my mind. And it showed me that the people who work in this industry, some of them, not all of them, and I'm not saying it needs or has to be this way forever. They like how it is. Mm. So keep that in mind too when we're talking about it.
0: Yeah, you got to take that in consideration for sure. Um, man, we could really unpackage this. Uh, but I also there's one thing that I think I, that I'm really curious about, just personally. Maybe this is more me being selfish. Uh, paint the big picture of what uh, 84 Hospitality is today, as far as the amount of locations you have and what you've scaled to. Ugh,
1: I had to write them down because it sounds silly, <laughs> but sometimes I get confused about what's um, <laughs> where. We moved a lot of stuff and done a lot of things. So, let's see. We have um, two full-service Empire Slice House locations. Mm-hmm. There's one in Tulsa that was open for five days uh, before COVID hit. So, that was our first foray outside of Oklahoma City. And was supposed to be like a home run off the bat. Its location's killer. Overhead's yeah. great. Like, everything. And then, it, anyway, we're adapting. Yeah. Um, so, we have two full-service empires. We have a, um, a counter-service empire that's called Empire Slice Shop. Gotcha. And... Uh, so we have that. We have a Mexican restaurant called Revolucion, and it, uh, in that restaurant, we're also executing our first ghost kitchen called Burrito Baby right now, um, which has been a lot of fun to test that out. We have Burger Punk, which is kind of a little punk rock burger diner bar, okay. uh, tiny, 1,500 square feet, really hurt through COVID. It was brand new, too. It was only about two months old. Uh, Goro, the ramen shop. Tori Tori, which is the Asian-American fried chicken shop that's in the former Goro space.
0: That's going to be my lunch.
1: Awesome. <laughs> Love it. Um, and I think that's it.
0: So eight total- lo- And we're
1: building a coffee shop right now that's next door to Pony here. Boy. It, called Neon. No, uh, Pony Boy was a bar that I created in like 2018, but we got out of that deal. Okay, So,
0: so eight, uh, eight-ish, nine-ish locations. Yes. Uh, or uh, concepts, we should say, or- location slash concepts correct so what i'm curious about and this is like an area that i'm just looking to discover and learn more about how do you approach new locations and and partnerships because you you identified earlier you're good at seeing talent somebody and finding people and recruiting talent how do you how do you go into those partnerships how do you guys cut it up like what what's what's the model what what should it look like in your opinion
1: that is a really interesting question and it changes. Um,
0: it's a little personal. I recognize it's that. It's okay.
1: And I, I mean, not to get like, you know, so-and-so made this much money last year. But as far as a percentage ownership, typically if I create a restaurant like around a chef, you know, um, Jeff's a good example mm-hmm. of this. Um, Jeff, when we created Goro, if even though he wasn't bringing any cash to the table, I knew that you have to kind of know... Your worth a little bit. Uh, what do I bring to the table? What did I do? Um, where's the money coming from for investment purposes? How much am I trying to retain? Um, and then giving sweat equity to a partner and like Jeff, right? Because without Jeff, I would have never built a ramen shop. Exactly. So you have to take that in consideration also. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend, and I've, Tried to structure this. I just haven't had any other partnerships. Jeff's my only operating partner. Uh, Everyone else is just an investor, a silent partner. Gotcha. So, in our experience, though, you know, moving forward, if I was going to build another restaurant with a chef or or someone who had a great idea, I would most likely put a put sweat equity out there, but that it's not vested till a certain period of time. Okay. Um, And then also made a deal with Jeff in the beginning that he could purchase another. You know, ten percent from from my ownership after a certain period of time for the same amount that we charged like the outside investors to purchase it for in the beginning, and um, I liked that because it showed me that he was in it for the long yeah. haul, um, and that he did put his money sort of where his mouth is, and that you know even the money he had to pay for it was from the success of the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it, it could differ, but as far as you know, outside. Investment. A lot of that comes down to your operating agreement. How's that structured? Mm-hmm. Some they're not really structured like this for us anymore. But like our first operating agreement was structured as majority rules. Okay. And I wouldn't recommend that for a lot what of. What do you people. mean by that? So like if you own fifty one percent, they
0: they choose they, pretty
1: much. You can outvote everyone. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, granted, like I. I d- I haven't seen a lot of other people's operating agreements. I've seen some, but as we moved forward with ours, we were like, wow, why do we do it that way? So what advice
0: do you have for people who are getting into an uh, operation together and they're coming to an agreement? What advice do you have?
1: Man, you have to be very honest with each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I even look back at some of our, my conversations with Jeff, um, when we were building our second restaurant about being very honest about who was going to do what and what was that worth and who was bringing how much cash and what was that worth and, and if not just you can, having the conversation. If you can't it, survive that conversation, yeah. then you shouldn't do it in but the first place.
0: also, like, commit it to writing. Don't just have the conversation, Absolutely. but have a pen and paper in your hand as you're going. Yes. You're responsible for this. Put your name next to that. Yep. I'm responsible for that. Put my name next to this. And, that's accountability. That, that, then you can come back to that later and be like, you said that you're responsible for this. Like you need to put names next to responsibilities for accountability. Right?
1: There's nothing worse than looking at somebody who works with you or for you and going, what do you even do? <laughs> you know, That's like a very ugly, yeah. gross feeling to have, and it'll
0: eat you up. Yeah, but I, I think it's a really good... So I think a lot of people, when they think about shared equity, they think that's 50% that I'm missing, 50% that I'm, I'm not going to get. It's actually 50% that you would never otherwise have. Right. And I think you have to look at it that way that without you and your talent, this, this concept wouldn't be a possibility. And I'm, and I get to get 50% of that. And I think when you, when you, it's just a perspective change, right? That it's like night and day. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you said that pretty well. Uh, You know, when I look at what, if I, if I just, if I met a chef from Denver who was, I thought was talented and I talked them into maybe moving here. Yeah. Um, Actually, I actually have a friend in Denver who's doing this awesome vegan pop-up. Okay. And I'm not vegan um, or vegetarian. Never have tried that before. But what she's doing with food is like, one, so beautiful, two, very unique. And we don't have that here. And so, like, if I was going to call her and say, yeah. hey, remember that deal like a few years ago where I tried to get you to move here? Here, you know, here's why. Anyway, let's say she did. Yeah. Um, I would just want to make sure that, like, I know what I bring to the table is... All, all the business experience part of it reputation um, just in town for what we've done yeah. so far uh, knowing the market and then really our operational yes. team that we bring with it absolutely right and so to me if I was going to list on paper what I bring and then and and this is not to talk specifically about this person but like if there was a chef and they were just a great chef but didn't have a lot of operational experience um, if you're just writing down the different things that people do and one list is a hundred and one is five. I mean, that tells you a lot about what you need to know about the ownership structure, in my opinion. Yeah. This has been great. And the other part of it too, is, you know, I say I never would have done a ramen shop without Jeff. Um, or I, you know, if there's a restaurant that I wouldn't have done without someone, well, that's okay too. I just wouldn't have taken that risk. Yeah. So,
0: I love this, and um, I realize you have an interview or a meeting you have to get to, so I, um, I want to make sure we leave time for COVID, and then we have a speed round. It'll be a true speed round, but back to COVID, and I think this is genius what you did. You recognize that the concepts that you had, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but from my perspective, what I'm picking up on is that you realize you needed to do something that was geared towards takeout or delivery of some sort. And just, I'm assuming that a fried chicken place was probably a solution for that. <laughs> yeah,
1: kind of. I mean, and the, feel it, free to correct me. I'm just, it was a solution. Okay. Where do I start with that? So, okay. The part that we didn't talk about was that we had a Japanese pub that was called gun. Okay. And at that restaurant, Jeff had been nominated for a beard award. Okay. Um, and it had been open since July of 2020. Gotcha. No, no, excuse me. 19. 2019. Ugh. I forgot what year it is for what day it is <laughs> it's going by fast yeah, it sure is so we built this beautiful restaurant in the paseo um dinner only five nights a week um and it was just this very experience driven educational i in the beginning i used the word sexy and everyone made fun of me but <laughs> it was it was just such a cool it was so cool yeah Um, doesn't translate one of a kind and people walk in there and say this feels like i'm somewhere else that's always one of my favorite things for people to say is it's transportive yeah so we built this place and um it was doing okay it wasn't until i really had time to step back and look at the numbers in march and april how much i realized we were floating it with our other restaurant um goro you know how or just even like how the staff was shared between the two places or, you know, how that was working. And between that and then, like, management fees that weren't getting paid to the hospitality group that were just accrued, and then it just, it painted a much uglier picture of what was happening there. And not only had I noticed all of that, like, really on paper slowed down to look at it, um, also the heart of that restaurant was the experience portion of it. And to me, that was gone mm. um, and in my opinion, at the time and now, i don't know when that will be back, yeah, so we're sitting on a restaurant space in a building that we own that is i don't know it was the most expensive restaurant we'd ever had ever built at that time, and I didn't know what to do with it. it looks like an Asian japanese you know restaurant and so i literally called jeff and i was like can i come sit on your porch i'm bringing japanese whiskey and i went over there and just said i have an idea and this was our passion project i mean i like stabbed stabbed jeff when i told him (laughs) this you know and um i said i think we need to close gun and it's not gonna make it it already wasn't making it here's how and why but i have an idea um And I think it could be possible for us to basically move the ramen shop into this space. But why would I ever move it? I never would have moved it. I mentioned that earlier. It was doing fine where it was. Yeah. So um, I talked him into it. (laughs) I mean, we basically came to that agreement. And we were able to just try to spend some time getting everything figured out. And it really sucked. I've never closed anything before. And, you know, we have partners there that I really care about and who bet on us, and I always want to make people proud. And I just wasn't able to do that this time.
0: But I, I want to make sure I, I understand correctly. You took where Gun was, you put Goro there, correct? Now, and then and you opened the chicken shop ch- and the old Goro. It, because that was a takeout, carryout friendly concept, and because
1: we still had a lease there that was not up.
0: Yeah. So I think that that's when you have to start. You have to take three or four steps back, remove your emotion from the situation, and say what would a smart business person do to survive in this moment in time. And you can always bring Gun back. You know, you can always like. It, it's not like it's dead. It's just on hold. It's on the back burner until the the world is ready for it again. Right.
1: right. I mean, that's our hope is yeah. that one day that you know that something like that could come back yeah. into play. I mean, yeah. it had some very specific uh, cooking equipment that's in the front and center part of the restaurant that we had to incorporate into yeah. Goro. So. so,
0: looking to the future regarding a COVID nineteen. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we we have to cool. bust out the speed round. But what are your thoughts on our response and like we're, we're, what we need to do to come out of this? And you know, do you have anything that you want to share, advice or whatever? The
1: biggest thing I focus on so much right now is our efficiency and functionality. Um, you know, we're trying to employ as many people as possible um, safely. Yeah. But uh, labor is also our the killer. Yeah. For um, our business right now because our sales are. It's one third or maybe half some of the stores are better off than that but for the most part we're trying to keep all the same number of people employed and managers on the same salaries they have before but we have the same rent and we have the same yeah. cost of goods cheese isn't like doing me any favors at empire Why Isn't that's the government sure?
0: forcing like building or, or landlords to cut rent in half
1: you got me there.
0: <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, we don't need against the politics,
1: I know like. it's so hard because right. It seems like it, that it, like it's so simple, but right. I mean, it's not. Yeah, uh, I and you. I know. And I, again, I am our landlord at one of the buildings. And yeah. so I see it yeah. from that standpoint exactly. as well. But do you want an empty building or do you want to get some rent? And so yeah. if they would just cap help us uh, anyway, I know there's a lot to yeah. that and the new round of PPP loans and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah. So really, what we're looking at is taking advantage of outside sales. Um, I don't foresee us packing this place anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Like, I I really feel like quick service, um, third party delivery. I've been you on both sides on of. I do, <laughs> yeah, I do, and I've been on both sides of it and gone down that rabbit hole. But the outside sales part of it, and and. The convenience of it for people is just not... It's going to keep growing. It's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so that's probably the biggest thing for us right now is really looking at everything and just trimming it like as thin as we can. And then trying to create sales in avenues that maybe we weren't taking advantage of before or doing yeah. it. Yep, totally. So yep.
0: awesome. Um, one question I asked before we go to the speed round: the mission statement again is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you, Rachel, transformed since 2012 when you made the motions to open your first place?
1: Me personally, yes. how have I transformed? Um, I feel like I have a lot more empathy. Um, I feel like I was always a person that said that I didn't because i wanted to be tough and empathy you know sounds like sympathy (laughs) but i really understand people a lot better i'm a better listener Mm. than i was before and i think that's um, i try to be more present and more meaningful in my actions and again like just the leading by example every day as as much as I can and just really trying to know and to tell myself no.
0: Yes. All right. I've loved this conversation. We're going to go one more break to thank our, our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over four hundred restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems. You already use and trust like Toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business. To get three months absolutely free, head over to www7 dot slash unstoppable. That's the number seven s h i f t s. dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. Who wants to be more efficient and cleaner? everyone so streamline your clean faster than ever before with eco sink and surface cleaner sanitizer eco labs two in one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house back of house and the third sink like other EPA registered food contact service sanitizers it helps protect against foodborne illness and also kills SARS-CoV-2 the virus that causes COVID-19 in 15 seconds and norovirus, the flu, and common cold viruses in 30 seconds, helping you reduce risk, simplify your procedures and help protect your team, your guest and your reputation with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Visit ecolab.com/unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. We're back and the first question I have for you is what is your IT factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success
1: oh i'm already going to stumble on the first one i'm not very fast at this don't put me on a game show uh
0: i figured it out in solution i'm (laughs) solution oriented i love it what is your biggest weakness
1: um (laughs) i care too much
0: what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team
1: have you played sports?
0: What is your biggest challenge today?
1: Surviving COVID. How are
0: you overcoming that? You're to answer that question. <laughs> Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team a core value, a way to be, a way to act.
1: Made by example.
0: What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So, this is something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant as far as how to serve your guests, but not common throughout the industry.
1: Oh, man. Um. Oh, this isn't. This is like a long sentence.
0: <laughs> Go for it.
1: We connect with all of the guests, and we have the managers write six guest interactions in a recap every night.
0: Uh, is that is that get logged in the manager log? It does. I love that. Beautiful. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Oh
1: man. I mean, setting the table, classic.
0: Yeah, it's classic. Do you have what's one your, your big lesson from that book?
1: turning over rocks
0: and i'm pretty sure that means like don't just take it for face value like dig a little bit right yeah
1: basically he's fishing and the fishing guy he says what bait do i use here and the guy says well let's turn over these rocks and see what the fish are eating okay i like that
0: um that's right um what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough
1: talk to the staff at their restaurants Mm.
0: Uh, what is one service you've hired or outsourced? This isn't a technology. This is like a person that does something really well. Like, for example, Jeff. Was it Jeff that you reached out to for branding or the logo?
1: Back? Yeah, so um, really we have a business consulting group that helps us grow. Who are they? Matisse. The Matisse group.
0: Beautiful. Um, I lost one. What is one technology that you've outsourced? So this is something that has helped you communicate better, be more efficient, be more profitable, anything along those lines. Payroll. And who are you using?
1: We just switched to Paycom.
0: Paycom. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. I get lots of eye rolls. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would they be? That's a tough one.
1: Three pieces of wisdom for humanity.
0: And your legacy. You're leaving, you're going to Mars.
1: Going to Mars. Three pieces. Um I gotta go back to like the figure it out so useful in so many aspects of life. One. Like never give up. Um two, be kind to people. Two. And three is be in the moment
0: I love it this has been a great conversation we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out who's one person you respect and admire and if you found out there were a guest in the show right now you'd be like let me know when that goes live I'm listening
1: uh, man you probably know these guys they actually reached out to me but I've really enjoyed watching their pizza empire grow themselves is the uh, via 313 the court yes. style guys in yes, Austin
0: Brandon and, yeah Brandon uh, oh my god I know. The brother Zane, Brandon and Zane. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Awesome dudes. I've had them on the get, on the show. They oh. were awesome. Oh, you know
1: what? I think maybe that's why it stuck in my head because I saw that on the list yeah. of people.
0: They're awesome dudes. Uh, absolutely. Um, which I think is another example of just the, the power of reaching out to people, right? And like asking for help. You'd be surprised at how willing people are to help out, you know? For sure. Um, so if we've really resonated with your message today and your story, and maybe we want to come join your team, maybe we want to poke you. What's the best way to connect?
1: Yeah, just shoot me an email at rco. P-E at 84hospitalitygroup.com. Beautiful.
0: And this is episode 778. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. 778. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to tools, services, and how to connect with Rachel. Rachel, thank you so much. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. It was our pleasure.
0: There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Rachel Cope dropping bombs of knowledge all over the place. I really enjoyed connecting with you. You were a lot of fun and some really great takeaways in today's conversation. Um, I love this idea of, you know, it comes up a lot on the show, having a unique uh, selling proposition but it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be so like pizza isn't a unique selling proposition but how they chose to serve their pizza in their community was the unique selling proposition i think that's just kind of a cool thing to consider when you're opening your restaurant uh, there's so many different ways you can do to diversify and to stand out in in style of service is one of those ways uh and i also really love the how she is willing to approach people and just to to open a dialogue to collaborate to come together to be stronger together I think we saw that with how she developed the the Goro Ramen concept with her business partner and um, I I also really love this mentality of uh, she this the sense of like people won't care for us until we start to care for them and she knows that there was a high turnover they they weren't able to retain people in their restaurant and then she said to herself we need to start taking care of these people and teaching these people uh not just um how to do their job but how to be upstanding citizens and uh, Encourage them to take care of themselves encourage them to you know, uh learn how to manage their their own money And just I think this is just something that we can't emphasize enough. We need to start making relationships in this industry beyond transactional and more transformative in in really Transforming the people that come to work for us making them better better people and when we do that um, it's just amazing how they stick around and uh I mean, I I just wanted to make an example of Rachel in 84 Hospitality for being a shining example of taking care of their people and going beyond expectations to show up for their people. And when you show up for your people, they'll show up for you. I really love that. Um, So awesome stuff today. I hope you guys found value in today's chat. If you guys want to connect with Rachel in the network, she's going to be joining us next week uh, in the network on february 18th at 4 p.m go to the show notes join the network and also this week um on uh, i think um sorry february 15th we have jeff dixon joining us and then we have a workshop in the network at uh 4 p.m. on February 9th. We're going to be talking all about Ghost Kitchens with Ryan Gromfin. So if you guys are interested in being a part of these conversations and uh, you want to be a part of the transformation of our industry, come hang out in the network and support the show and thank you in advance if you do. I'll see you over there uh, when you join. Uh, You'll get your one-on-one with me and I cannot wait to meet you. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, peace
1: out.